Wagner, and you're listening to Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie. Get ready for a good time. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Stay Tuned with Troy and Howie. Hey, Troy, where can they find us? Well, Howie, they can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere where they listen to their podcasts. And now they can find us on Rowdy IM by going to rowdyim.com. Don't forget to look us up on social media as well. We are on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and even YouTube. And once again, that's rowdyim.com, W-O-X-B. Let's get get rowdy. rowdy. Hey all, what's up? This is Brian from Data Monster Customs. Are you looking for that unique gift for your spouse, sibling, child, boss, or anyone for every occasion? Well, we do one-of-a-kind personalized figures. Check us out on Instagram at Data Monster, that's D-A-D-D-A-M-O-N-S-T-E-R, or just put Data Monster into the Google machine and check out everything we can do for you. Once again, this is Brian for Data Monster Customs. Tell a story about a woman I know Like a cotton mouse tried to eat my soul Cotton mouse sitting on a limb Peeking down as I'm catching brown Cotton mouse Holy crap, honey the cotton mouth (laughs) yes and as you're listening to this this is called cotton mouth by the one and only donovan chapman hey donovan welcome to the show thank you guys man glad to be here hey glad to catch up with you it's awesome um glad my uncle paul could hook us up and Let's get all this stuff out of the way right away. Uh, your uh, social media, Donovan Chapman Music on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. You can find your stuff there, DonovanChapman.com. Follow this guy on YouTube, Donovan Chapman. Uh, just look him up. Uh, got some videos out there, Highway Patrolman. And uh, we're going to ha- have a listen to that at the end of our interview here today. So that'll be awesome. Yes. And uh, you, like Howie just said, you heard Cottonmouth here. So a lot of stuff this guy's doing. I'm telling you what, two albums in the last year here for this guy. <laughs> going crazy. <laughs> And another yeah. one on the way pretty soon, right? Yeah, yeah. We got some more stuff coming. Um, new music. I'll be in the studio tomorrow night. And then week after next, I'm in the studio with uh, hit producer Noah Gordon, who produced Aaron Lewis. And we're going to be producing uh, three three more songs uh, that wow. I've written. So we've got them wow. stacked for this summer coming. This guy is busy. Find his stuff. Go to DonovanChapman.com. And, uh, do you have like uh, your show dates and stuff like that on there, Donovan? Is that where it, yeah, I see it right now. Tour dates. I see it. Yep. Yep. So. Yep, you can find yeah. out where this guy's going to be and check him out. Um, so, yeah, so, so you were born in uh, Farmerville, Louisiana, and uh, and you're also Hawaiian, so explain that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, my mother's full native Hawaiian. My dad's from Louisiana, from Farmerville. Uh, my grandmother was married three times, and her um, third husband was from Pearl Harbor. And, oh. he, and so my grandmother had a lot of kids, so um, a lot of <laughs> The Hawaiians have much aloha spirit, and so 
so she brought uh, the family back and my grandfather Hart passed away um, in Biloxi. It wasn't my actual grandfather, but it was my mom's stepfather. He passed away down in Biloxi. We stationed there. Had complications mm -hmm. okay. from uh, Pearl Harbor. And, oh. and so my mother stayed behind with foster care for a year until she turned 18. And then she found her way from Pascagoula, Mississippi, up to Monroe, Louisiana, then was invited out to go to church in Rocky Branch, Louisiana, which is a little wow. small community out in the middle of nowhere. And that's where she met my dad and my grandfather was a for my dad's side was a preacher there southern baptist preacher and and they kind of kicked it off and it wasn't very long after that i was i came along so <laughs> that's pretty cool i mean it looks like um you know obviously you were in the military yourself joining the air force um but it looks like you have quite the extensive background of your family being in the military as well right yes sir uh great grandparents i mean it, it our lineage goes back you know all the way back to the civil war so uh wow. but my great grandfather uh, was in World War One and lost his leg over there, and came back and was a, a farmer, one of the first major farmers, cotton farmers and soybean farmers, uh, in wow. North Louisiana. And so, and he, you know, he broke that acreage with his sons, you know, cutting those trees down, digging those stumps up, log rolling those logs out, sliding them with a mule and a plow and a peg leg, and he wow. used. To yeah, and he used a prosthetic peg leg until he passed away, my grandfather Thomas. And his wow. sons helped him, and then we lost a few of my uncles. His My grandmother's brothers were killed in World War II. My papa, who I call my, was my grandfather, my Southern Baptist grandfather from my dad's side, served in World War II. My dad served in Vietnam. He was in the Tet Division, and he was actually uh, injured there through uh, bullets and uh, and then me and my little brother both served in Operation Enduring Freedom, Afghanistan. And I've also okay. served in Kuwait and Operation Southern Watch. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're extensively, the males in our family have served. And wow. You, and you being um, in the military, from what I understand, you served as a pararescuer, right? Yes, I did. I was in, I was a security policeman uh, for part of my career. Then I cross-trained over in the pararescue. Um, I went in, came in in 92, in June of 92, right after I graduated high school, 17 years old, and they sent me to Minot, North Dakota, and I turned 18 and stationed in Minot. I'd never been out of the rip. I mean, we went to Arkansas for vacations. We went down to Biloxi right. one time, and I remember seeing the ocean for the first time as, as a boy growing up in, in Biloxi, which is, I don't know if you call that an ocean. It's like four miles of mud flats, but... Wow. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, so, and station North Dakota was so cold. Then I went to Korea, and I was yeah. actually a 81-millimeter mortarman there on base defense. Security policemen in the Air Force wow. kind of go uh, and law enforcement duties, but also for security purposes. And uh, I got stationed in Hawaii, and I cross-trained from Hawaii to pararescue teams in the beginning of 98. And served as a pararescue man for my career out to right just under 11 years in beginning of 2003. Okay. Well, now, was that something you had to go through intensive training like uh, pretty much like, well, like your buddy Paul had to go through? Yeah. Um, you know, what, what kind of training did you have to endure through that? Well, it's the 
Yeah, well, as Paul, I'm sure Paul related to you, it's it's very yeah. extensive. Uh, every branch has their, I would call their, uh, their special operations, their sports, Army Special Forces or Air Force sure. now, Special Warfare. Uh, Pararescue is one of the most intense in its own way of the Special Operations, Special Warfare community because PJs, it was, you know, our short for Pararescue right. Jump. Pararescue men have to be trained in free fall. They have to be trained to be able to free fall from any aircraft in the Air Force inventory and Army inventory. Uh, that's that we work through. Uh, they're also we're also combat divers, special forces, combat diver qualified. Uh, we go okay. through the special forces Army uh, medic course. Uh, when I was in, now it's within the Air Force, but it changes for when you go through the pipeline. The pipeline is usually two to two and a half years. It was a little yeah. over two years for me. And then uh, when you go through the SEER school, the POW, the survival mm -hmm. training, uh, the resistance training, being captured and treated as a prisoner of war, going through the psychological things and, you know, and, and the beatings and what you have to go through uh, to sure. be able to understand what it's going to be like to be able to return with honor if you get, become a POW. Wow. Uh, so it's very yeah. extensive training. The indoctrination, the first 10 weeks of our course, is where they weed you out. We, we started with nearly 130, and we, we graduated uh, no more than a dozen. So it's a 98% attrition rate in the selection. And we have people from all branches of service, prior special ops, prior or from any job. Uh, that come through and it's it's perseverance it's a mental agility uh, it's it really it, and, and and being able to not get hurt there's a lot of people who get through the they could get through the training but they just get hurt and they it yeah. wash they pull them they, they tear a meniscus they pull a, a collateral lateral ligament or a medial collateral yep. ligament or, the, or they uh, they blow a, you know break the collar bone or wow. mess their shoulder up and it's they can never you know, and I hate it for those guys because there was a lot of people that can get through who suffered those kind of injuries who would have been who would have made great pararescuemen or combat yeah. controllers in the Air Force. Um, so it, it really is a luck of the draw, but mental pers perseverance and agility and the luck to not get hurt in this training. Mm -hmm. We have to be really good in the water. The water is the most ex yeah. one of the most extensive things that pararescuemen go through because our missions are a lot of times recovery for pilots and doing recoveries during SAR, search and rescue missions, are in high seas and jumping into situations where it's very life-threatening. Um, so, yes, it's very ex extensive training, Howie. So what, what yeah. made you want to even go that route then, knowing what you guys have to endure and you're already in the military. So like, you know, what what caused, what was going on in that head is like, you know what, I'm just not being challenged enough. I think I need to go into something a little bigger and uh, and mentally yeah. challenging. Well, as a cop in the Air Force, it, uh, you know, I um when I was at Hickam, we were doing what you call the emergency service teams, the EST teams. Uh, and yeah. We all took care of part of Honolulu Airport because Hickam Air Force Base is attached to Honolulu Airport. And if something goes yeah. on, bomb threat, some of those type of scenarios, we'd have to be able to respond. So I, I went through air assault, the Army air assault course at the 25th Infantry at Schofield Barracks. And I got my first taste of a little bit of something high speed in that gotcha. caliber. And um, so... And I, I was 
going to go to rip to get uh he had a ranger slot because some of our we get sometimes we get the ranger school selection so i could get tabbed out and be able to use that in the base defense and teaching for our you know security guys but then right. we went into 12-hour shifts and the budget got pulled and i was like man this you know and i was married at the time i had a stepchild uh and as a cop in the air force as an e4 i was making you know living in hawaii it was literally we're going to the commissary with a 150 dollar budget a month on base and we're barely skirting by rice wow. and rice and meat and canned vegetables i mean that's all we could afford and i was like these pararescue men are making they're getting diet pay they're getting jump pay they're getting special incentive pay they're getting scuba pay they're getting all these different types of pay and then when you go down range you're getting combat pay and i mean as pjs you you get through it you're you're going to be making more money substantially you're going to be as an enlisted you're going to be entering the officer category of income yeah. uh so I, I was coming out of the chow hall at Hickam, and I remember walking out of the chow hall, and I just put my blue beret on, you know, and, and there was this guy standing in a flight suit. He was standing there, <laughs> and he had a flight suit on, and I saw him pull this beret. I thought he was a pilot. He pulled this beret out and put this beret on. Now, I have never met a PJ or ever seen a pararescue man in person, and uh, I, saw, okay. I saw that chrome Angel of Mercy flash, and he tucked it down. He's got his toothpick. <laughs> just you know, just standing at the door blocking everybody from coming in. I was like, "Hey, are you a PJ?" He's like, "What the hell else am I supposed to be?" I was like, <laughs> you know, and so I was like, "Man, I, I say I'd love to learn more about you." He's like, "Oh yeah, oh, I think man. you got it." And I'm like, "Yeah." I said, "Well, what are you doing today?" And he goes, "Oh, I'm just going to go jump with SEAL Team over here on Pearl Island. We're going to knock a few, knock a few free falls out." And I said, "In the water." <laughs> He's like, yeah, into the water. So he goes, come see me tomorrow. Here's my office in the PACAF headquarters building. So I, the next day, I went up to the PACAF headquarters building, and I went in and saw him, and I was like, he goes, you think you could pass this pass test? 3,000-meter swim, these amount of minutes, three minutes to put your shoes on, three-mile run in under 21 minutes. After, you know, And in the underwater, in, in the pool, you got to do four 25-meter underwaters without breaking the surface in a return fashion in less than two minutes. And, and, and then you got to do... You know, X amount of pull-ups, X amount of chin-ups, 120 flutter kicks in two minutes. And, you know, the push-ups are like 80 and the sit-ups are like 80 in two minutes. But all these are minutes back to back to back to back. Yeah. Right. Kicking your tail with a 3,000-meter swim and four mate, four underwaters without breaking the surface back to back to back. And then the three-mile run within minutes later matched by the push-ups, 80 more push-ups, 80 more sit-ups, and the amount of pull-ups you had to do. I think it was either eight or ten pull-ups and then you know pull-ups and then reverse by yeah. chin up and it was oh and, and he goes you're not able and i'm like well man i'm surfing man i'm surfing why may at 20 feet i'm hawaiian i got this and he's like <laughs> no you don't he goes i'm gonna work with you he goes i'm gonna call your uh commander and your sergeant and i'm gonna ask them to let you take two day two hours out of your 12-hour shift to work out i'm gonna meet you at the pool twice a week i'm gonna monitor what your pt is and i'm gonna give you two months and I'm going to give you the pass test. And so that's what happened. And two months later, I would, and I took the pass test and I barely got through it. And when I went to the indoctrination as a staff sergeant, I um, became the team leader in seven days. Wow. Out of, out of those 130, 20 to 30 people that started, only there was, it was master sergeants, lieutenants, captains, tech sergeants, staff sergeants, all 
bunch of enlisted. Within seven days, they started Hell Week the first day we got there. They have the, out of the 10, 12 weeks, it changes. They can choose right. what week back then they wanted to do Hell Week in. But okay. they wanted to cut us out quick and get to the meat of who we are through the course. So they chose to knock Hell Week out. So we got there Sunday at 5 o'clock Monday. Boom. <laughs> oh, man. It's Hell Week, ladies. And so, you know, and there it kicked off. Um, it, so it washed us down pretty quick. And by that, the Monday following Hell Week, uh, Hell Week ended that Friday night, I was the team leader uh through the pipeline up to the kirtland part of the albuquerque oh my gosh. yeah so so when you wow. get through that and you become an official pj are you now walking into that mess hall with that toothpick in your mouth and be like <laughs> all right i want you to see the bird yeah well it, it, no, i <laughs> when we go to teams when you're on a team you're actually on a base where there's been pjs there and and, and so it's common uh when yeah. pjs assign a base but the thing about hickam air force base hickam air force base is really big it's it's actually joined to pearl harbor without a fence through it it's the same base pearl harbor and, and hickam air force base is just a just one base housing color to you know the other base housing color changes how mm -hmm. they paint the houses. So there's only one PJ on that island, on Oahu, the whole island, at the headquarters packout building. He is yeah. the pararescue liaison for the entire Pacific command of pararescue. Wow. So he, you know, no one ever sees him. So when you see a person wearing a green flight suit and a maroon beret with that flash and free fall wings and scuba and all that, it stands out that maroon. So when I was on team, I mean, there was times where we went to like Marine bases like Cherry Point or something. We're doing some training up there and we show up and people are like, who are you guys? Oh, man, we're just the Air Force bowling team. You know, don't worry about us. <laughs> but, who are you guys? And so, yeah, we just we, we just kind of exaggerate, you know, throw a little humor into it. Yeah, yeah. we're just the bowling team, man. We we fly the blimps for the Air Force. We're the blimp, we're the blimp technicians. And, That's awesome. They're like, blimps, really? Yeah, blimps, man. <laughs> yeah, it's just like that. Yeah, they're assault blimps. Yeah, <laughs> assault blimps. <laughs> but we, play, we, 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 we just kind of had internal fun with it and humor with it. But, sure. uh, yeah, it, it, no, it, it, once any of that type of mentality, once Afghanistan, once 9-11 happened, we were so busy that um, our minds was, even when we were back, we were so geared into what we were, the, the missions and what was going mm -hmm. on that, there, that the pararescue of me, the PJ within me, uh, when I came in uh, and put the don the beret, and when 9/11 happened, and how our mission ops and how our ops tempo changed, our brains, our, we we completely changed, and uh, not our job, but how we individually work, because we're losing teammates. We're in Afghanistan working extensively. I mean, working your tail off. You're grubbed up. You're bearded up. You're over there doing missions. You're doing flight missions. You're flying. You're coming back with, you know, uh, from from one tour, you may come back with 60 to 100 flight combat sorties. And so you are working your tail off down range um, in doing life rescue missions. Um, a lot of us got involved with that. I did myself uh, save two CIA guys' lives with uh, my teammate and our crew in a helicopter. Mm. So our, we took it more in a serious way. And I would say if you saw us coming out of a chow hall after what was going on then, we were just we were somewhere else. We were thinking sure. about the training and, and focused on... Uh, where we needed to be mentally and um, 
uh, what was going on in the unit because uh, wow. the the air, it the military. I mean, it changed when 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 the war kicks off like that. When you're not in war, it's kind of just we're just training, we're just training, we're just training. Yeah. We're pressing. We're having some beers at the squadron after the jump day on Friday. We're downtown having some beers with the brothers and whoever you know, whatever guys were given a pass by their wife is out drinking with us. But um, once the war kicked off, it was it was different. It was everything. It it just changed because it was, was yeah. no was no playing training anymore. You were training to yeah. go into war. Was wow. that was that like muscle memory at that point, or is that kind of you know obviously you're training to hope that it does come second nature to you like that, or it, you said it felt different, so it it the muscle memory didn't really help at that point, or it did, or like, well, I'm trying uh, to get your your mindset there, like when you go into war, well, you still feel like an intense training, like well, the way we train when we go to combat because we actually train with live tissue. In medical, uh, we train with live, you know, tissue. So, uh, and we train intensely as pararescuemen. So, when we go to combat, we are, you, we are prepared, and we are getting it. We we jump right into it. It's, um, it's, it's, it is muscle memory. The way we do IVs, the way you do chest tubes, the way you do a cricothyroidotomy, the way you would have to secure someone in a spine board, the way you have to work the penetrator to come out of the helicopter, how are you going to throw your fast rope, how, how you come down your fast rope, how are you going to do a 100-foot repel, uh, all these, how are you going to work the Stokes basket up and use the tagline, how are you going to do a mission in the water. We train so hard that when we're in combat, it is muscle memory and it's in perfection mode. But it, and it and it's challenging too at the same time though because every situation is different, right? Yeah, so. Every and that's why we train so hard because every situation is different. There's no one mission ever done the same way. You don't and and, and Troy, you bring up a good point because the opposition's going to be different. The terrain's going to be different. Uh, Afghanistan was so unforgiving. You could be in the mountains like you're looking at pine trees like you're in Colorado in Aspen, Colorado. The next thing you're down in. A yeah that are so wide the cracks that you can't even drive a tank vehicle across them wow. they're eight foot wide cracks and dust devils going i mean this is some wild movie stuff uh and then you're in snow uh the altitudes you go up you, you know you get in those above fourteen thousand altitudes and then you it's in the nights can be so cold but the daytimes can be so opposite uh you can leave so so yeah you have to be prepared and every environment is different, but that is why we train so hard. So because you don't know what's coming, and you don't know what your patient's going to have. Are they going to have a hemonumothorax and an abdominal arterial bleed? Are they going to be hypovolemic, so much loss of blood, sitting at a 90 systolic, and be a double amputee? Are they going to be somebody that has a basal skull fracture from a TBI, mm -hmm. and that's throwing all the warning signs, and you're wanting to get the fusion up, you want to get the blood level up, the the, the pressure up, but at the same time, you're dealing with a, a you know. Uh, a basal skull fracture are we dealing with yeah. a subdermatoma a brain bleed these things is why in live tissue we work with these type of injuries so that you can but the biggest thing is to commit to not stall on what treatment that you need to do uh, the worst thing to do is to stall and not do anything at all um, so that is why pararescuemen are rated the number one special operations medic in the DOD because of that, um, okay. and yes, it's because of yes. that, because the train in every imaginable environment and the power of the imagination and training is what's going to keep you alive to receive that type of training and what's going to help you save someone's life. 
the power yeah. of the imagination and training that you when you train people or we receive training. Mm-hmm. I think so, I think that's a good I think that's a good transition, Howie. And first of all, from both of us on behalf of Howie, I'd like to say thank you for yeah. your service. Oh, um, without a doubt, you're welcome. Thank but, you, guys, man. Uh, um, it's in the past. <laughs> It, it is, but let's let's kind of transition now out of your military career. Yeah, now that um, you're done being a badass, uh, yeah. now let's move into the country world and uh, and talk about the music you're doing. Well, before we get there, Howie, I'd like to almost even get into um, your rehabilitation on leaving the military and yeah. not no longer be, being a PJ. And it says here in your bio on your website that you dealt with a lot of PTSD and guilt. And um, t- talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, PTSD, it comes in so many fashions. Uh, there's really no rule book on it, and uh, there's really no way to calculate where it's from. I, I mean, I believe from what I've learned in listening to people in, in courses that when we put on the backpack, as soon as we start recalling information from sensory input as children, at that point, whatever is traumatic or whatever uh, – through nature and nurture, what we put into our brains is becomes what weighs us down if it's a negative, if it's developing a neural net that's thinking a certain way. And then as you go through life, unchecked trauma, unchecked uh, traumatic things that are creating a pattern of how you're thinking and how you perceive life. And it, it calculates. And the icing on the cake was, I mean, I my combat experience compared to what a lot of other PJs and SEALs go through was nothing, excuse me, (laughs) excuse me, was, you know, I, I, but it it affected me. It affected me. uh, And in a way that when I got out, I I signed a major record deal within, you know, within a month when I was out on curb records and it affected me and it was unchecked trauma that i was not processing and and one thing that i realized was is there's no the ego to the self to go i can deal with that later i i mean it's nothing my missions were nothing compared to what a lot of people i mean my troop my jason cunningham my my troop jason plight they were killed in other missions outside of me i mean i mean look at what they're going what they went through and what the guys are going through right now and i was just trying to write it off write it off possibly some guilt just write it off write it off and and not checking it and there was things that i went through as a cop I, i lost a couple guys that were a good friend of mine was killed in korea there through an accident right in front of me uh, when he yeah. fell off a building there in right in front of us and I, so it was a lot of things that i was just through my raisin and southern raisin come on boy harden up you can deal with this you can deal with yeah. this and just not being aware of mental health and how uh we are a calculative measure of of what goes on in our lives um and so when I went through the record deals and I didn't get higher than I wanted to be because I was in a way I was doing it not necessarily for myself. I was doing it because my my boss, Mike Maltz, Jason Cunningham, my troop, Jason Pike, my troop, my great gunner friend, uh, Jason Hicks and Doug Eccleston and Armin Sarai, and Dennis Hay, all these teammates of mine and, and Michael Flores. It just there's it, more mm-hmm. that. I wanted to be bigger in the name of them as that guy singing for Power Rescue. And when it didn't happen, and I returned to Tallahassee, and I had to get surgeries, um, I had to save use of my hand with this hand right here because you know yeah. it's, it's uh, I, 
had some really bad damage done to this arm and I had neck trauma done from just repeated accidents in, in power rescue. And so I had fusions done in my neck and arm surgeries done and I'm in college and I'm starting over. Um, and I'm before that, you know, I was up here and everybody's like, Oh, you're so you're on curb records. You're this and that. And, but yeah. and there was so much of me that was twisted, that was disconnected and what, who I was and why I was and, and leaning back on some ego and leaning back on myself and my pride and, and tr you should get through this in just complete dysfunction. And to the point to where I started self-medicating, I started just trying to deal with it. I was going out of my mind, laying on my back, not able to move, going through the, the, the recovery process on a dozen or more VA medications, uh, multiple SSRIs, Prozac on top of Olazapine, on top of Ambien, on top of Gabapentin, wow. the nerve block, and I wow. and I major reaction withdrawal problem from from the gabapentin as a hawaiian i don't do the same with people with meds i've noticed that my wife's noticed that i may have some wild reactions to meds um and so i was found in the woods going out of my mind and paranoided out and just screaming crying having a hard time that was a hundred i'm 205 pounds and i was 165 pounds and also wow. type 2 diabetic and did not know I was a type 2 diabetic about two days from then going into possible coma type mental, uh, situation. Um, and the Pararescue Foundation stepped up for me and why I, I wear this loud and proud is in my videos. And they covered me and they did not wait for the VA to put me through it. Not that the VA wouldn't or was going to. They, were, they stepped up immediately and said this has to happen right now, right now for him. And so they covered it, and it was very expensive, and they sent me through transformations. Mm -hmm. um, and I went through the rehab program where I learned so much and surrendered and found myself flat on my face, crying my eyes out. When I broke, I did not just break through the military. I broke back to childhood. I broke back to some things, and out of respect for people in my family, I won't talk about there's sure. a lot of trauma I carry from my childhood uh, that was that calculated up into my life and that that I did not realize that I have been running from and that bull shark has been right on my butt my whole life and I've been trying to turn that off. Maybe becoming a PJ was that. Maybe trying to outdo it. Maybe getting a record deal. Maybe proving myself that, that what that shark was behind me was saying was wrong. And yeah. when I got down the transformations, I started, we broke down what was going on and we broke down. It's a great, it's like almost like a doctorate's course of, of psychology to get you understanding. Some people, it takes several times to go through. For me, it clicked like that. Um, and when I started understanding that the mind, the, the primitive emotional mind doesn't know time, I was like, what did you just say? It does yes. not know time. It thinks everything you're thinking emotionally is happening right now. That's what PTSD is. When you have, when we are fight or flight, when we, when the mind, such the chemical mind, and through the down the axon is an action potential. The neuron, the response, the docking of the chemical, out comes raw emotion. All this is is an engine. A thought goes in the engine. Out the engine is raw emotion, exhaust. Yeah. And that's basically what our brains are doing. And when we are not aware of this. That when we have a trigger to something traumatic that relates back to fight or flight or any anything that's developing a strong neural net of the brain, is brain thinks it's happening right now, and you know that is why we cry thinking about a past memory. That is why we get happy thinking about something from the past. The mind thinks it's happening right now. And when I was able to understand that about PTSD, then I became aware 
of going, okay, when I trigger, now I can cope with this as a coping mechanism through a different way to be self-aware. Going, Donovan, you know, you know your mind. You know you have to work on this. You know you cannot medicate. You know you don't need to be smoking pot. You don't need to be drinking real heavy right now. We're having a problem. We are aware and we're mindful. Okay, I'm having a bad, I had a bad dream. I didn't know this bad dream was going to come. I didn't, I mean, where the hell did that come from? Why was I dreaming my legs were falling off in combat and all my buddies and people are dying and my dog, my dog is there being shot. I mean, where is, why does the mind, how does it create these movies? But it happens. And then when I come to, I have to, Donovan, be mindful. You know, you know, you got to push it out. Imagine, you know, like they said in rehab, imagine, imagine in your mind that you're taking that thought, you're pushing it across the field. Imagine the field. Now see it across the field. Now play the tapes. If you stay in that and keep trying to process what went on in that dream, what is going to happen? Play the tapes. Where are you going to go down the road? But unless I disconnect mindfully and be aware of that it my mind is thinking it's now and I have to disconnect and I have but to disconnect I have to be mindful of what the mind's doing. And now I can play the tape if I stay there. This is my step to breaking Donovan's victim mentality. Because that victim mentality will kill me. And I believe it kills a lot of people and it keeps oh, them in dysfunction. Yes, that yeah. victimized, but no, man, you don't understand. No, no, you're not hearing me. No, you don't understand what happened to me. Yeah. Okay, okay. I'm listening, and we have to let them talk. But to get them to go, whatever happened to me in my life, the military, whatever happened in bad relationships, it was still my decision. I take full responsibility for it. And I forgive myself and others and everything that's went on in my life. And therefore, victim mentality, I refuse to let it. And if I do have a problem, I'm going to call Paul Miller. And Paul Miller and I are not going to have a real close talk. And which we do every week. And so and we, and he's my mentor. And we are support mechanisms for awesome. each other. But we both realize that we are going to have to fight our egos and fight this victimized mentality. And that is the biggest thing of the problems is the victimized mentality. Uh, how to break that. It The victim mentality lives with ego, insecurity, and jealousy, and they all run together, and they're so bonded. Um, but Yeah, you know what? You <laughs> mentioned something else too, Donovan. Uh, you mentioned that this, and obviously you don't want to get into detail about it, but you know, you mentioned what you've, you've dealt with a lot as a child, and you know, we call that, you know, adverse childhood experiences. And I'm sure yeah, you've yeah. Uh, scored. Sounds like you probably scored pretty high on the aces uh, score. And uh, and and when you say you were in that fight or flight, well, guess what? You were in fight or flight from the beginning, from yeah. childhood all the way through the military. Um, you know, you're probably even still fighting it now, you know, yeah. and it's and it is part of that brain. That stem of the brain is that first part of your brain that develops and, uh, yep. And then that's your fight or flight right there. Right. Yep. And, and your brain is always in that mode. It probably still is. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And as a result, you know, you're always going to be on your defensive. You're always going to, oh, and I mean, this is, this is probably what made you probably such an amazing military vet because your mindset was always about everybody else and not about you. Yeah, and and Howie, one of the you mentioned speaking of that, what helped me get past uh, the childhood 
um, things that I went through with abuse and different things that happened was mm -hmm. understanding transfer dysfunction. Right. To understand transfer dysfunction that my parents or whoever was we had problems with or wherever that came from, that that was learned behavior by them that was transferred from their you know their parents sure. or their people to them and so that tr tr that was transfer dysfunction now back then was they were being raised they did not have the support elements that we have now so does the buck stop with me i hope so but for me to forgive to not be a victim of my childhood number one i have to be able to forgive but to to be able to forgive falls along the basis of truly understanding transfer dysfunction and so that I can forgive them because they once were a child in their parents' arms as well. Very true. Very wow, true. That's, again, we're speaking with Donovan Chapman. Follow this guy on YouTube. Uh, Donovan Chapman Music, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram. You can find them all at DonovanChapman.com. Of course, you can find his music on all the streaming platforms, so look that up as well. Um. I guess we'll make the next transition here into your music career. And you brought something up with your your surgeries and having your neck fusions. And if I'm not mistaken, they go in through your throat for that, correct? Yeah, they went in anterior on me. So anterior would be, be your front. Uh, yeah. They went in anterior on me. And, and speaking of that, I just did an hour in the MRI machine last night. I have to have my – I'm having problems with it again because I've got degenerative disc disease and – um, I've been dealing with a lot of pain issues. So last at five, at six five o'clock yesterday evening, they put me in and did a full neck all the way to lumbar, and it was an hour in the MR machine without Oof. moving. And I That's was tough. ring, 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 wonk, 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 bing, bing, bing. I was like, ah, this is yeah. And and I'm deep in that thing, and I'm like, I'm starting to develop claustrophobia. I think I'm getting. I mean, and yeah, it was. I mean, for an hour not moving, man. Uh, on that hard oh, uh, <laughs> good, good luck with all that. But um, I got you know, my I got my wimp on. <laughs> um, so you know what? I'll, I'll actually jump back before we even get into the military and start your career up here again. Were you involved in music before the military as well? Like, how, how did this? How did you start developing your love for music and start playing? Um, I played um, growing up. Me and my cousins. Uh, we played guitar and a uh, uh, little little bit of banjo and bass guitar, playing bluegrass, singing uh, just country songs through the 80s and 90s, uh, just country boys growing up in Rocky Branch, Louisiana. And um, I, I played in church. Uh, I played drums in church growing up and play and sang in the choir and sang so and that came from my mother love of music uh from my mom's side she was also she taught me to play the ukulele and uh young age young age we were walking up in front of the church playing ukulele and singing and um so it came from growing but it never i never was serious about it and when i was in the military it was just something we'd pick around on weekends and nothing ever serious um until I guess it called me once 9-11 happened and I was just starting to like, how am I going to process and deal with these, deal with emotions and deal with something deeper in me is calling me, something deeper. I'm seeing, I'm seeing what's going on and I'm seeing the mission and I'm seeing people's emotions, but I'm taking it a different way. And the, the artist was awakened, uh, the artist, art, art, the artistic side of me. And so I just yeah. started by just simply writing songs down and just writing out music. 
um, and writing lyrics down and, and it just I grew and I grew and I grew and just kept growing and I'm gonna continue to grow and I continue to write now and it's been it's been 25 years uh, in the business wow. working and growing as a writer as a producer as an artist as um, I'm definitely a different person excuse me now than I was sure. in 2003 four I didn't know the industry and I had producers working with me and now I produce and I do work with other producers but it's a respect level because you've been in the industry and you understand the language and you understand the music and, and what goes on on the screen what's happening in the recording engineering part of it uh, and I've got some great people around me and that I work with so we have great respect for each other and a great working relationship so it's all been a beautiful process growing it ups and downs and ups and downs but that's part of it man you got to yeah. go through it. You, the, and, yep. And now you just start figuring out the music industry, and now all of a sudden here comes TikTok and uh, all sorts yeah. of other avenues where it kind of throws some roadblocks into how you put your music out there. And, uh, you know, how, how, do you, how do you want to uh, get that music heard, and how do you want to get that music out there to where uh, you can depend on it, so to speak? Um. It organically has to happen where people, through awareness of what through podcasts like this, mm -hmm. um, through more things that I'm doing with publicity, that people are aware of the music. Because um, not a lot of people know of my music. Uh, it's a big 2022 is a good time distance from 2003 and 2008. My last, which is 2008 9, my last um, records were out. And now Highway yeah. Patrolman's been out there. So I. The way people that they can stream it, and the more people that are aware of it, if they start streaming it, that helps us. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what we're working toward is just to getting awareness and people know of the music and the authenticity of the stories in the writing. And that this is not drinking a beer on tailgate songs. This is not about, uh, this is deep stuff. This is very therapeutic, deep music. This is music about real life. Mm -hmm. um, such as we're talking about Cottonmouth, the next video that's coming. This is the blues. It's about pain. It's about life. It's about lust. It's about relationship. It's about humans, humans, and going through it. The blues, man. The Delta blues, and the that's real the real deal. And so I hope that more people get to find out about me and my music and what I'm doing. Uh, with you know working with veterans and with my own career and then also working with nonprofits and um, that's what I'm hoping that people can become aware of I, I want to be able to get out there and do more shows to do more touring and have people putting butts in the seats that are there yeah. to enjoy the music and and leave the lot the show as enlightened as somebody going wow this was an amazing experience this is a show one of its own kind uh, because of the story and the content and the band and myself and what we bring to the stage. Gotcha. You have the album Brotherhood out and uh, that was released last year, I believe. And mm -hmm. um, this, this year, just actually a little bit ago, we're talking uh, May 4th, you released the album Special Coming Home. And mm -hmm. I know, you, you know, as you were saying, you have a lot of special songs on there, but one in particular you wrote for uh, A Fallen Comrade, correct? Yes, that was as earlier in the podcast we're talking about Jason Cunningham. Um, he, it was um, one of my first troops I had as a supervisor at Moody Air Force Base. Jason mm -hmm. was killed in Operation Anaconda, and he received the Air Force Cross. 
and uh, I wrote with his parents, Miss Jackie and Mr. Red Cunningham, um, their song, and it's called Jason. And it's actually out there. People can stream it. Uh, the Special Ops Volume 1 Coming Home album, Jason. Yeah. I love people to take a listen to it. It's a very deep record. And when I write with, especially writing with them, uh, I had to be able to take the, the Christian people, uh, parents. And so when I write with someone, I don't write songs about ego, nor am I going to write songs about their suicide attempts at the, or what's coming or continue on dysfunction. I want to go into their minds with them and for that, you know, the, with the trust factor being there in a very therapeutic, very peaceful, comfortable way, like we're talking right. now, and walk through them with their PTSD and for them to be comfortable to give me the meat that I can understand as in a therapist as a way to go through and write. But it, the trick is, is in the song, give them a roadmap out. Uh, give them yeah. a roadmap out of the song. So with Jackie and Red, they were just destroyed that Jason was supposed to get, he was supposed to be upgraded to the Medal of Honor, and he didn't. It was the Air Force Cross. Um, mm -hmm. So I twisted the Air Force Cross to the cross at Calvary. You know, but what this cross means to me is a symbol of my belief. My son's with God up in heaven, no longer fighting overseas. But now I'm torn between this Air Force Cross and the cross at Calvary. But that's a price a Gold wow. Star family pays to keep America free. And so I go through that meet with them of how they feel. And then as the song ends, there wasn't a medal of honor for him. He was just doing his job. Jason will get his just reward, kneeling at the throne of God. And the song ends right there. And it goes out wow. instrumental. And so give them closure right there so that they can hear, feel, see their fun getting his medal in front of God. And so uh, like Brent Manny, whose songs on there, Pararescue Brother of Mine, who was dealing with the ego and, and his life and being broke his back on a parachute jump and and uh, couldn't couldn't work with his family or himself. And he was, in a way, he was going through the ongoing battle of love and fear because a lot of way we think in life comes down to two categories, love and fear, in so many ways. Right. And so at the end of the song is now I'm holding my family near the ongoing balance of love and fear. And so, and to give him a way out. So it's not a battle anymore, brother. It's a balance. And so wow. that's how I write with veterans. I get, I go through it. Let them tell me their stories. I use their words, mm -hmm. but I put intricate melodies to it. I'm a melody builder too. And so, and to give them a way out of it and give them a, give them, give them a roadmap out of the song. Uh, one of them that's on there, an interesting story, uh, Jim Carden, who was a PJ who actually had to put a person down. And then he also became a work with the FBI and was working with the child pornography division, the FBI, in the dark web. Oh. And and he was giving so much of his life, you know, uh, and he you know he gave he gave him everything till he had nothing left to give, you know. He justified his decisions late at night when he cried, you know. His we his strength has become his weakness. An act of mercy has its price. But then go to the end of song. Now it's time to save my life and give myself a chance to live. I won't carry this anymore because every breath is a gift. I justified my decisions late at night when I cried. My weakness has become my strength. An act of mercy has its price. And so I walk him out that way. And I can't wait for you all to hear the album. All the songs yeah. will get a, a, a road. It goes in. It hits it. And then we give them, I give them a road map out. That's oh, wow. amazing. Wow, that's some beautiful songwriting. Thank you. Wow. Wow, that's, that's, that's 
impressive. I really, really, really enjoyed hearing those stories behind that. That is so cool. And how much um, of that is therapy for you? I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, all of it, yeah, right? It, it, it is. It's therapy for both people. It, it's therapy for everyone involved in it. And to hearing them go through it like Jackie and Red and crying. I mean, guys, I never would have. I could only. I couldn't imagine in 2002 being in Uzbekistan at K2 or K1 in, in Afghanistan that after Jason was, you know, been killed in action for a year, that I would be in 2022 riding with his parents and creating their song yeah. for them. Wow. Yeah. That is so cool. It's amazing. Um, and, I, and I love, you know, you, you wrote these songs about people and having a meaning behind them and a story and, like you said, a closure almost. Um, mm -hmm. But you also write songs, and the we're going to hear here in just a moment is called Highway Patrolman. And mm -hmm. proceeds of this song are going to help a highway patrolman in Texas uh, with, with um, I, I'm sorry, Son or a, a cerebral palsy was that what it was or uh yeah cerebral palsy that's what i thought okay that's what i thought and this yeah. is going to help him uh garner a vehicle to be able to transport his son around yeah um, his son so tell us a little bit about that song I'm, I'm curious as to the story behind that before we hear it uh well i was in uh i had the album done brotherhood was done and i was invited down to south texas down to granite ranch and was going to be singing and performing for some thp guys kind of for their uh little just get together for them and uh, uh the trooper jd who i was working with was telling me about you know his life before i got there and his cerebral palsy son and and the effort was going on the border and, and so I, I put the song together and i just had some spots in the verses i wanted to add into it so I drove down there and I sat with him for about an hour and I said, just talk to me. And I wrote, finished the song right there talking to him. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go back to Nashville. I'm going to record this with the guys and I'm going to add it to the record. It's going to be the first single. You guys need it right now more than anything. And you, and he's, you know, his son is at to the age. He just went through a double hip surgery last week. Um, I'll be down there in Texas on, in the, in third week of June, visiting his son and posting stuff on social media about that. Um, mm -hmm. But his son's to the point where he has to have uh, a vehicle that's going to be able, like a quadriplegic with the ramps and to strap him down. And those vehicles don't run cheap. They're upwards $60,000, sure. $80,000. And so that he can be able to transport his son just to get him out of the house. Um, his son's a beautiful boy. He's, uh, he's Casey is um, such a good kid. And and hand, you know, I couldn't imagine going through that. And these guys working as many twelve-hour shifts with just a few days off, up, you know, in yeah. support of Operation Lone Star. Uh, they really are doing the job, and a lot of those guys are, are having hard times. And so that's where Highway Patrolmen come from. And I hope it was uh, it, on the Billboard Indicator Activator charts, top sixty for over ten weeks. And I don't believe that this song is done yet. I think more law enforcement, more people need to hear it. And yeah. that they know that they're being appreciated. This is a law enforcement song nationwide, worldwide. This is a featuring Texas Highway Patrol song. But it's about the mission of what law enforcement does. Uh, I support law enforcement 100%. Even through the mistakes they can make. Because we're all human. And everybody makes mistakes. There's bad people of every position that's ever been in this country or this world. Yep. So Agreed. we make mistakes. When we learn from them, but I still support the law enforcement effort and our Lone Star Border Patrol effort as mm -hmm. as, a, as an American veteran 
I stand behind the border. I stand behind our people. I stand behind security. And I stand behind immigration as well. Done properly and done with the right support so that we can get the people through that need to be here. That deserve to be here. That deserve to be here. And not not millions of dollars. You know what? 350 million of meth just got busted. And kids yeah. dying from the pill mills coming through. And, and the car yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not buying into it. I'm not buying into what, you know, this just open, what's happening. It needs to be controlled. Yeah. So I support our guys down there, the Lone Star effort with, uh, we've got state troopers supporting from Florida, from Nebraska, mm -hmm. from Ohio. We got uh, those states that are sending their troopers down to support them. I am really thankful for them. And Governor DeSantis for sending those guys out in these other states that are sending their troopers down. The National Guard that are working down there. Uh, we've had one lose his life down there. So um, I um, I stand behind our our Texas Rangers and our our game wardens. You know the Texas game wardens. You know the sure. Lone Star Law guys who are down there working as state officers doing the job too. Uh, matter of fact, I just got a text as we were talking a while ago from a friend of mine who's who was featured on Lone Star Law. Uh, he's a Texas game warden, and I'm going to be writing a song with him in June too about oh, cool. his life. Yeah, and he's actually on the border right uh, right now, and so these are real people, you know. These yeah. are real people, and they're put in that position. It's almost like they're being they are deployed. They're deployed inside the state of Texas at another war down there. Mm -hmm. So if anybody else would help uh, Trooper JD and help him get this vehicle for his son. Um, other than streaming the song and um, and downloading it and purchasing it or however you can find it, uh, what else can they do? Yeah, what if they wanted to just straight up donate money to them? How would they do that? Uh, they can go to thatothersmayrise.org and thatothersmayrise.org. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> our, bro our brother Paul Miller's organization. So they can go there and there's a link there. It says Casey uh, Child Love the Blue or um, Casey Child Love the Blue Link, and they can click on that. Uh, we need everyone's support on this. We need everyone that can help. Um, and any, you know, once we get to that ability to pay for that vehicle, anything else coming in, we're going to still keep supporting. Uh, like this game warden that I'm going to be writing a song with, he said just whatever. I, when I write with guys about their life story, I automatically give them 50% um, writing royalties because it's their life story. And he yeah. said back toward that that effort to help john uh, jd and any other law enforcement officers that we can help so we're going to keep that rolling with that others may rise and try to help as many law enforcement officers as we can but that others may rise.org casey child love the blue uh we're sitting around twenty thousand right now and we're trying to get to seventy thousand for this particular vehicle johnny lives on a long dirt road my buddy and so he's got to uh, get a vehicle that can be able to do this. We can't just buy the normal, you know, Dodge van that sits real low that has a, you know, we have to get a certain vehicle that can get down his driveway. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. so. So please, please help this cause out. Um, you know, uh, purchase the song if you can. Uh, go to thatothersmayrise.org and look for the link for, uh, was it Casey Child? Well, say it one more time. Casey Child loved the blue. Casey Ellie Child loved the blue. Yes, that's, that's what it okay. was. I believe. So look, so look for that link on that othersmayrise.org, and that is a hundred percent nonprofit. We like to point out uh, there are no all the fees. Uh, my uncle Paul takes care of all of that, so everything that is debated gets used. Um, so again, 
Donovan Chapman. Follow this guy on YouTube. Follow him, like his songs. Uh, find him on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, Donovan Chapman Music. And hit his website up, DonovanChapman.com. You can see where he's going to be playing and uh, what new projects he's working on and read a little bit about his bio. I mean, heard a lot of it here, but there's some other things in there that we didn't even touch on. Um, so, good transition. I think we should get into and uh, unless you guys have anything else. It's yeah. been great, guys. It has been a lot of fun, and, uh, man, I learned a lot about you, and uh, I, I definitely think we need to connect beyond Again. this. So yes, looking Agreed. forward to that. Some say we're tough, some say we're strict Because we wear the badge and we never quit Trained to protect you while you're on the road Black and white is always ready to roll Working as a highway patrolman Seen a bunch of things I don't understand Working these long 12-hour shifts Trying to meet the deadline on my bills You can cross the line at a Texas state sign I'll be waiting on the other side Working as a highway patrolman Living by the star and the law of the land Some say we're corrupt No, no That thin blue line represents her love For a fallen trooper serving on the job We serve to protect them by the grace of God Working as a highway patrolman I've seen a bunch of things I don't understand Working these long 12-hour shifts Trying to meet the deadline on my bills You can cross the line at a Texas State sign I'll be waiting on the other side Working as a highway patrolman Living by the star and the law of the land When we're on that open road For you will risk our lives So that you can get back home it's a feeling we hold deep inside To always check our pride Cause under God we took the oath Working as a highway patrolman I've seen a bunch of things I don't understand Working these long 12-hour shifts Trying to meet the deadline on my bills Yeah, you can cross the line at a Texas State sign Waiting on the other side Working as a highway patrolman Living by the star and the law of the land Working as a highway patrolman Living by the star and the law of the land
Well, this concludes our broadcast day. Click. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, follow, and like everything we do social media-wise. Also, please share, subscribe, rate, review on whatever platform you're listening to. And also, let them know you can now listen to us on Rowdy IM Radio.